Hello and welcome back to the Drop Step podcast. I'm your host Jack Quantrill and today I'm joined by a special guest. I'm joined by Brooklyn Nets beat writer, I believe that's an appropriate title, Lucas Kaplan. Lucas, I'm really happy to have you on the show. We talked a little bit pre-recording about how the Nets are probably one of the most interesting teams going into this year in terms of situation. I hope you're happy to be here uh, and I hope you're happy to get into it. How are you doing today? Yeah, I'm good. Uh, I don't know if anybody can tell. They've heard me before. I'm a little sick, but I'm battling through it because, hey, it's always a good day when you can talk basketball and you can talk to Nets because I agree with you. You know, we always hear about how you don't want to be in basketball purgatory. You want to be contending or you want to be rebuilding. You never want to be in the middle intentionally. And because of that, there are no NBA teams doing that except for the Nets. So definitely an interesting situation we got going on in Brooklyn. Yeah, I absolutely think so. And almost to dive straight in, we immediately touch on the dreaded NBA purgatory. You look at a team like the Wizards that sat there for 50 years post winning a championship, give or take. Um, The Nets are in there, but I I don't think it's similar to other situations where we've seen where it's tight or cheap owners looking to push into the postseason every year, looking scraped by losing the first round rinse and repeat basically I think there's some method to the madness and Lucas let's let's talk this regular season first because I think it could be very easy to get caught up with what the offseason looks like next year what the offseason looks like when this team is going to compete again but having followed the team at training camp having you know gone to a couple of shoot arounds what are your thoughts on the Nets this year what have the vibes been like yeah the vibes are as they often are in the preseason when everybody's undefeated, pretty good. Um, (laughs) It's definitely a new era, and that's all the way up and down the roster and the organization. I mean, the last article I wrote on Nets Daily was about how Jacques Vaughn, no longer the interim coach, has a contract extension, got Mm -hmm. to hire a full staff this summer of guys that he handpicked to be in the building. So there is an organizational clarity Now, that's not going to make up for the talent gap that they don't have anymore with KD and Kyrie and whatnot, but the vibes are good because I think there is a clear focus for the team, you know, to say nothing of their actual potential, and I think guys are excited, you know? I mean, I think Mikhail Bridges, for example, is excited to have a larger role on offense. I think you could say the same of Cam Johnson. I think even guys like Dennis Smith and Lonnie Walker, who signed for minimums here in the summer, both said that they had offers somewhere else but chose to come here, maybe because they were, you know, promised some minutes, whatever it may be. Uh, I think the team is looking forward to this season, and they are also very cognizant of where they are. You know, there's no pretension about winning a title this year. A couple of things I picked up on there. Can McHale have a bigger role on offense this year in comparison to what he was doing post all-star I think on the fringe of 27 points per game an efficient 27 I think it was about 26.8 true shooting went up from Phoenix to Brooklyn he was getting himself to the line almost seven times a game I think about 30 percent usage which was double what he was getting in Phoenix if this man has another increase in offensive role I think he might finally miss a regular season game what do you expect from Gale this year I should say this offensive role now with a foundation of a training camp, hopefully a little bit more planned out. Um, 
No, I expect I expect a similar uh, burden on McHale just because, mm-hmm. yeah, Ben Simmons is back and he's going to handle the ball. But beyond that, Dinwiddie's really the only, I guess, traditional ball handler they have. Dennis Smith Jr. is an unknown. You know, Cam Thomas is an unknown. So McHale's going to see a lot of touches. Um, and for him, I expect he's not going to totally change his shot profile. Still going to be a ton of tough mid-range pull-ups. But for him, it's really going to be if he can, I think, boost the pull-up three share of his shot profile and the playmaking. Because as good as his numbers were, and some of this obviously has to do with his teammates, the Nets were not a great offense with him on the floor uh, post-All-Star break. No, no, they weren't. And I think it would have been um, a pretty tall order to expect a really good offense considering Mm -hmm. the titanic shift that roster went through at the trade deadline, just sort of unlike any other team in the past five years, the ultimate sell-off of all sell-offs, but he adapted incredibly well. Like we said, putting up an efficient scoring half season, I suppose. But um, interesting that you touch on the playmaking. I think that's the one thing that I look at from Mikhail's numbers, where if you were to just look at the scoring profile, if you look at sort of the true shooting, like we said, the free throw numbers, that's a number one scoring option. But I don't know if he's a true number one because at the moment I, I don't see any other lead offensive player in the league generates the, you know, less assists. So how is he going to be able to transform from assassin in the mid-range, isolation scorer, taking on that scoring burden to getting his teammates involved and taking advantage of some of the gravity that he's going to create this year? Yeah, I think that's a good point because he is going to be the number one scoring option. Like You want him finishing with the most shot attempts in a game. I think that's pretty unquestionable. So it's going to be on a guy like Ben Simmons to attack the paint or get into handoffs, you know, set good screens and kind of help Mikhail to get downhill a little. It's going to be on Spencer Dinwiddie to penetrate again and Mikhail can relocate around the perimeter. As long as he's getting some easy shots, you know, the other day in their second preseason game, he went six of 11 from three um, and then he went two of nine from two. But he ended up with, what, I think 23, 24 points. And it was a very classic, like, okay, these tough mid-range pull-ups aren't going in for him, but we're creating, like, catch-and-shoot, pretty open looks for him from three. And it's on, you know, it's on him to find those shots, and it's also on his teammates to help him out. So I would say before the playmaking, it's how can we make sure to get Mikhail more open looks because he's going to be the leading shot taker. Yeah, let's make his life easier this year. And who do you think the burden is going to be on to make his life easier? What do you think the starting five is going to look like for Brooklyn this year? Uh, Have there been clear indications from the preseason? Do you think it looks settled or are there spots still to be won in sort of training camp and as the season starts? Well, the guys that have missed games are Mikhail and Cam Johnson. But I think you can pencil, Pencil. pen them in. Yeah, as starters. So... They've been starting Ben. They've been pretty clear about um, that they view Ben as an integral part of this team. Um, so that's three right there. Obviously, they're starting Claxton and Dinwiddie. I'm going to say that's the five. Now, if the spacing proves untenable with Ben and Claxton, maybe you see Dorian Finney-Smith or Royce O'Neal take the place of Ben. But that would be, I think, down the line. So I think you got those five starters. And then within that, Ben can't be out there and 
not handle the ball and not attack the paint. Because if he's not doing that, then why do you even have him out there? So it's going to be on Ben to push the pace and get these guys open looks. I mean, he says he's back. His teammates say he's back. You know, he looks better in preseason athletically. You know, now it's, now it's on him to do it. Yeah, yeah. I'm looking at that team, and I think the clearest sort of roster issue is going to be that Simmons-Claxton pairing because it's very rare that you see two complete non-spacers and also sort of dodgy free-throw shooters. Uh, I know that Nicholas Claxton, put towards the end of last year, was edging up to average, having sort of been historically bad in postseason runs. I think there was a game where he missed, he went zero for 11, which is slightly insane, but he was at 63% uh, post All-Star break last year, which was interesting. So I think you're going to have the opportunity for some really interesting lineups when you stagger their minutes. I love the idea of a potential, I, I don't know what you think about the backup big situation, but I think Dorian Finney-Smith stands to benefit a lot from playing next to Ben Simmons if he's getting that paint penetration. This is a guy who we've seen catch a ton of corner threes from Luca, And uh, I was listening to JJ Reddick's podcast where he had Tyrese Maxey on and he was speaking about the open threes that Ben generates. They're not sort of passes in flow. He will get to the paint, he'll get to the rim and you will receive a bullet to the corner and it's on you to be ready to catch that. So I think that we could see a little bit of a revival in DFS, which would be good. That would sort of maybe make us reevaluate that Kyrie Irving trade. And then in terms of when Simmons sits, you've got really, really simple construction. I think that Royce can come in. He was a bit of a plus minus God post All-Star break last year proper sharpshooter can switch just an old reliable head uh and yeah that's going to be four spaces around nick claxton it's going to be two maybe three shot creators depending on if cam thomas can get himself really established in the team which i think would be really exciting just from the casual fan point of view because i think you say cam thomas's name to casual nba fans and it's he's the guy that went for 40 three <laughs> times in a row after Kyrie and KD left. He's their, he's their saviour, right? So some really interesting questions. Who who are your swing players this year, aside from Ben? Because Ben is the ultimate swing player, right? Right, right. Um, I like that you mentioned Royce. Just He's always been viewed as this very reliable, uh, trustworthy player, and I think that makes sense. Last mm-hmm. year, and I wrote about this, by far the best three-point shooting season of his career makes attempts percentage and shot distance like he's spacing three four feet behind the arc and if you look in preseason he is jacking them up and that is honestly what this offense needs so i think royce could be a guy that as you said plus minus god really stabilizes that bench uh they need someone whether it's dayron sharp or harry giles to give them solid minutes at the backup five um other than that swing guys it's like yes cam thomas and whether he's he's going to be able to score the ball. Um, but the thing with Cam, what I've noticed about him is it'll take him kind of a while or it takes him an opportunity to get into that flow state of I'm going, right. putting up buckets. And that's fine. But in the meantime, he needs to be able to, if there's a closeout coming, he needs to be able to make a quick decision. You know, if the ball's moving on the perimeter, he needs to be able to keep it going. So I think with Cam, the issue can be when the Nets create an advantage, sometimes he has a tough time uh, maintaining that advantage. And with this roster, that's just not something that they can afford. That's not really something any NBA team can afford. 
So if Cam, while we wait for the scoring to, you know, get some consistency, if he can just be a positive ball-moving offensive player, that'll be important. And then the last thing I'll say is the minimum guard signings, they need one of Dennis Smith Jr. and Lonnie Walker to be able to come off the bench and give them solid minutes because they don't have a lot of ball handling and offensive creation on this team. And, you know, neither of those guys are going to be all-star level offensive creators, but just some juice, especially in transition, you know, they're going to need. So that kind of bench group with Royce and then the guards are are really what I'm looking for um, in terms of swing factors. Yeah. Dennis Smith Jr. One of the most underrated pickups of the offseason, I believe three million. Uh, I don't know if it's a single or a multi-year contract, but if you look at some of his defensive EPM numbers from last year, I think Charlotte were sort of top six in defensive rating post All-Star last year. And very much down to the fact that Dennis Smith Jr. is an absolute menace at the point of attack. He's a great isolation defender. We've spoken about off-pod, the math game with the Brooklyn Mm -hmm. Nets and how to sort of make up for that talent gap. And I think that Jack Vaughan probably last year showed some signs of leaning into that. We, we spoke about like the, the threes increasing. I think you've got a real chance to be one of the most fun transition teams or one of the most active transition teams throughout the course of next year. And Des Smith Jr. can contribute to that. So what are your thoughts on terms of overall play style? Are we looking at an egalitarian offense? Are we looking at run and gun? there's probably two outcomes where if it's all working, it's going to look like this. And if it doesn't, it's going to look like give Mikhail the ball. Definitely. Um, and just to put a ball on the last point, you asked me about swing factors. I named like half the roster. I think that's very indicative of, uh, of where the nets are at um, in terms yes. of the NBA landscape. But yeah, it's gonna, it is going to start with getting stops and getting rebounds, which the nets struggled with mm. last year pre and post deadline they're gonna i don't think they're gonna be a plus rebounding team this year just given the roster construction so it starts there and that's why jacques Vaughn has talked about playing more drop even with right. this switchy roster keeping nick claxton uh near the rim where he's a great rim protector and also just by virtue of size their best rebounder but yeah it absolutely starts with stops because there's only so much jingling you can do with the half court offense you know they need to run they and you just let you even look at the offseason moves no joe harris no patty mills no seth curry you get lonnie walker dennis smith jr you add ben simmons guys that are theoretically not the greatest shooters lonnie i know can shoot a little um but athletes that can run in transition so i totally agree with what you said when it looks good it's going to look good and when they get slowed down when they have to take the ball out of the basket the half-court offense is, is going to be tough. Mm-hmm. I, I want to go way back to one of the mentions you made. I know that Harry Giles is either on a 10-day or a training camp co- uh, contract. If I told you back in 2017 that the Nets would have Ben Simmons and Harry Giles on the roster, <laughs> how hyped would you have been? This is championship material, surely. Oh, man, that... Uh, they, they still talk about Harry. I mean, I almost feel bad for him uh, because... Mm-hmm you can't get through a press conference without his teammates or his coaches, the reporters mentioning uh, Harry Giles, the high school uh, phenom. 
poor guy. He doesn't need reminding. I'm pretty sure he knows after the injury issues sort of what could have been. But uh, I know that he's had a couple of productive preseason games. So maybe he could be one of the sort of success stories for the Nets. And like we said, their eighth or ninth swing player. Yeah, I mean, they end because of the uh, Harry Giles, the third exception, which was added to the CBA this year. It stated wow. that it stated that if you missed a year of service, of playing time, that did right. not count towards the two-way contract eligibility. And that was pushed for hard by Jason Tatum, a fellow Duke Blue Devil and friend of Harry Giles. So theoretically, Harry Giles could land a two-way contract and still contribute to this team. And I've heard great things about him in the locker room. They like his size. You know, they like his activity. He has nice touch. He's a good passer. Always has been. Um, so I I think he's not a, not a shoe-in for the roster. Uh, he's on a non-guaranteed deal. But I would be more surprised if he missed out on the roster than if he made it. Uh, I'll put it like that. I will always remember where I was when I found out that the Harry Giles III exception existed. That is top Brooklyn Nets coverage there. That is why we vet our guests and we only get the best of the best on. Honestly, that's that has made me fully geek out there. But I, I just feel like from a wider perspective, these guys that had that sort of blue chip athleticism and they have to sit out so much, these guys that were tip to go high in the lottery uh i feel like harry giles has probably become a pretty cerebral player you know to get to that level of skill and to get to that level of sort of fame and acclaim and then have so much time out i know that if he's had you know a mindset that hasn't been bogged down by you know all the numerous negative factors that could have bogged him down he's going to have been watching a ton of film and got himself to a ton of different practices and uh I really hope he pans out because he used to always be one of the guys that I signed back on like 2K19 or 2K20. <laughs> it was like, ah, oh, this is easy. This is a this is a minimum. This is a guy that's going to come in to my rotation and, and be a big factor. But it'll be interesting to see how that goes. I feel like we've probably mentioned most names on the Nets roster, but two players that we haven't mentioned yet are the two players that the Nets drafted in the first round. So... Noah Clowney, I believe, at 21, and Derek Whitehead at 22. I think. Maybe 2021. 20, uh, same thing. Cam Whitmore was definitely 20 oh. because all I've seen this year is Rockets. Uh, all I've seen this week is Rockets fans going, you let him fall to 20. You let him fall You're to 20. So you I think are absolutely were... right. That, that's 100% correct. Give us the lowdown on these two because I don't know if they're rookies that are ready to um, – to contribute to the roster in a really meaningful way in year one, but it says something about where the Nets are going over the next few years. I yeah, I think it's really interesting from a team building perspective because in short, in two years, Dariq and Noah Clowney will be 20 years old in the offseason and they will turn 21. So let's say the Nets are ready to compete and we can talk about why that might be in two or three years. These guys are going to be, let's say they're stuck could have only fallen so much. There's not, uh, yeah. they're, they're going to be still young prospects in that time. And, you know, to talk about them as players, Eureka, you know, we've already talked about super high profile recruits that go through injuries. The Nets say they're not concerned about his foot in the long term. Uh, mm -hmm. Noah Clowney, really thin, but an intriguing skill set, kind of a stretch big. 
they're going to see a lot of time in the G League. And their development this year is really going to come down there. But it's going to be a slow process, which makes a lot of sense for this Nets team because it's not a rebuilding situation where the fans need to see these high draft picks on the court right now because there's absolutely nothing else to look forward to. You know, most 20-win teams, for example, don't have Mikhail Bridges, Cam Johnson, Nick Claxton that fans Mm -hmm. want to see. And they're also not the Denver Nuggets where, hey, because of salary cap constraints, we really need guys like Christian Brown and Julian Strother to come in and contribute because we just don't have the cap space to sign a lot of role players. So it's a really kind of good snapshot of where they are as a franchise right now and how much they do believe in their internal development. You know, ever since Sean Marks took over a decade ago almost, this team has been very clear that they believe in their scouting department, in their draft, you know, team, and it's paid off multiple times. I mean, you look at Nick Claxton, he's going to get a bag this summer. Absolutely. I think he was picked in the mid to late 20s as well. So there have definitely been success stories. Um, they've got a great eye for talent and a great eye for big men as well. Obviously drafted Jarrett Allen all the way back in 2017. Let go of him a little prematurely, obviously, for the right reasons. But got a great eye in the draft. And I think if I was a GM, I'd probably have the most fun picking in the 20s because when you get it right, (laughs) you are the bell of the ball, right? But when you get it wrong, this this guy was picked number 21. This guy was picked number 22. How often do these guys pan out? So hopefully we get to see some meaningful progression. I'm not going to be tuning in for the Long Island Nets, but I, I will be checking the box scores from time to time. And I think Derek Whitehead is probably the one where you look and you go, that is a real high upside pick. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the reason he went to the Nets is he had foot surgery pre-draft yeah. and that was conducted by the Nets chief of medical staff. Yeah. So they had a better idea of where he was at than any other player or than any other team rather in the league. So they had that confidence. And um, just another guy that sort of fits this profile of, real high value shooter wing size player can keep the ball moving sort of subscribe to 0.5 basketball uh, i think he's shown some iq and i love it when a team picks uh, a high value high school recruit that's had a little bit of a down year um it's always a high upside play so it's going to be interesting to see how he looks in the next couple of years yeah i i think he is gonna i think he's gonna do very well in long island there's not a lot of pressure on him to come in and contribute right away i think mm-hmm. the next development staff as you said has proved very capable at their jobs um and the nets are very they're both very aware of his injury situation they're not rushing him and like you said this was a guy a year and a half ago before he went to duke top three recruit in the country and can shoot and the question with him in high school actually coming out was how real was the off the dribble shooting and yet at duke kind of hampered by the foot injury with his athleticism and all this other stuff the shooting became his A-plus skill. So mm-hmm. there is a lot to look forward to with Derek Whitehead. Um, I'll try to be giving you know, periodic updates on Long Island just because Clowney and Whitehead are two really interesting, really young prospects where if the Nets are looking to contend in two years and they got these possibly really valuable trade chips in these two guys, Uh, That's going to go a long way for the future of this team. If, you know, as you said, picking in the 20s is a guessing game. If even one of these guys pans out. Yeah. Or on the flip side, guys that can contribute to winning 
on mm-hmm. a low value contract you know that's four years of team control yes guaranteed at a low price so hopefully one of these guys hits both of them in an ideal world and you're on to a proper winner i'm just thinking i think that we've gone in really deep really fast so a lot of people they hear brooklyn nets they think mikhail but really they're thinking ben simmons we spoke a little yeah. bit pre-pod about ben simmons I've watched as much tape as I can from the preseason on Ben because I want him to succeed. Uh, I love the style of player that he is. I know that he hit a mid-range fadeaway. Didn't have that on the bingo card. Uh, I think that was in there. I, I can't remember. Was it Miami Heat that they most recently played? He's hit He's hit a couple. Um, he hit one against the Israeli team in the second game, and then he just hit one. I was at, Who did they just play? Philly last night. Philly, so, that was it. So, yeah, they play the Heat on Wednesday. Um but yeah, no, Ben, I mean, he's not going to be shooting a ton of jumpers and you don't even really want him to, but it's just more a sign of like, he's just not afraid to go out there and play right now. And, you know, the numbers haven't been outstanding. There's still some kinks with the spacing and he hasn't done it in the regular season. But like, if you've watched every second of his film last year, if you've seen him play, just it takes, it take it took a, maybe an, a minute and 30 seconds of the first preseason game just to be like, okay, like, He's moving differently. He's not yeah. moving so stiff. And no, he's not back to like, hey, that might be the bet one of the three best athletes in the NBA. That's at least six ten, like him and Giannis. And I know I'm forgetting guys like damn near Paul George. Yeah, but yeah. just an athletic beast. He's not there yet. But it's like okay, he has some spring in his step. You know, he's bouncing around. Like the difference is just night and day. For two years, Ben Simmons ducked Joel Embiid when the 76ers came to town. A couple of nights ago, uh, Joel Embiid and James Harden ducked Ben Simmons. So I think the tide is turning. It could finally be the time. I just want to see him when he gets to the line. I think with Ben, you can definitely make up for the lack of outside shooting and the lack of mid-range shooting and the lack of jumpers. But really, it's just about him having the confidence to go at I suppose it was Trey Young, wasn't it? You know, not play the bailout pass to Matisse Thibault, the most over-talked about play of the last three to four years, without doubt, if that goes in. Who knows what Ben Simmons is doing right now? I, I don't know. But it's just about him having the confidence to go all the way to the rim because that unlocks the rest of his game, right? Yeah, exactly. And that's really what you're looking for. And not only does it unlock the rest of his game, but it unlocks the team as a whole. Because in order to create these open threes, you have to suck in the defense. So last year, he was just kind of meandering around the perimeter and and not really attacking aggressively. And it's like, yeah, he created, you know, decent numbers of three-point attempts. But if you watched the film, it was really just here, like you take it, and now there's five seconds left in the shot clock and you got to jack up a contested three, Mikhail or Cam or Kyrie or KD when it was before the trade deadline. But Mm -hmm. it's... The free throw thing, I completely agree because it's a microcosm of of what he really needs to do. He needs to attack the rim. Um, Mikhail's not going to generate a ton of rim attempts. Cam isn't. Dinwiddie, not a ton. Cam Thomas off the bench is a score, but it's a lot of mid-range pull-ups. Ben's going to be the guy, him and Nick Claxton, that are taking shots at the rim. And it's been so nice this uh, preseason to see him bring the ball up the court whether it's off a screen or whether it's just attacking that first possession against the Lakers, just going at LeBron James. And instead of like 
fading away into this hook shot. It's like, no, I'm getting to the glass and I'm laying it up. And if I get fouled, I get fouled. That is is so encouraging from a from a Nets point of view. Yeah. Last year, I think we found out that Ben Simmons not the hardest setter of screens in the league, but I think he's going to be in motion a fair bit more this year and get to use that IQ and that athleticism. I think the one player that we've probably not spoken about, I suppose there's two actually. I, I'm a big Spencer Dinwiddie fan. Um, I think that he looked at his best in his time at Dallas next to Luca playing in that sort of hybrid role player role where he was listed as a point guard, but shot really efficiently on catch and shoot threes. I think he was up at around a 62, 63% true shooting mark in that uh, you know, Dallas postseason run or Dallas run where they got to the conference finals. I, I'm really excited to see what he looks like this year. And as well as that, I'm really excited to see Cam Johnson, like you said, Recently signed a contract, I think $108 million when you account for the incentives. A guy that went away with Team USA this year, so he's recognised around the league as having positive value, recognised as being a guy that you want next to stars. I'm really interested to see how those two develop. And um, I think we'll find out how well the next season is going by if they're both on the roster, both uh, post-trade deadline next year. Yeah, Dinwiddie's interesting. Uh, there's been some talk some rumblings of an extension. I know the Nets really like him as an organization. You know, I think it's, I don't have much to speak on about that. So we'll see. Dinwiddie among Nets fans can be a punching bag just because last year he was post deadline, the only ball handler on the roster. And that's Mm -hmm. not an exaggeration. Like the only guy capable of handling a certain number of pick and rolls, initiation, uh, possessions, a game. And yeah, you know, Mikhail had a lot of it too, and he scored very well. But Mikhail, and this is no slight, is is really a play finisher versus a play starter. Um, and he can do that really well. He scored 27 points on plus efficiency. So no, no diss there. But they need to find a way to kind of ease Dinwiddie's uh, load because – Oh, there's only a handful of guys in the league that can handle that amount of offensive creation. And one of them is who we play next to in Dallas, in Luka. And I love Dinwiddie, but that's just an unrealistic bar for him to get to. Um, already this season, you know, he's talked about, hey, I, I'm a good three-point shooter. Like, I, I look forward to spacing off the ball when Ben has it, when Mikhail has it, and kind of within a possession even, alternating between that guy who runs a high pick and roll and then gets off the ball and relocates for a catch-and-shoot three. So I could see him having a really kind of impactful offensive year, even if the numbers maybe won't reflect it, because there are just going to be times this season where a possession falls apart and it's Dinwiddie with the ball, five seconds left on the shot clock, and he has to, you know, he has to make wine out of water. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see the kind of year he has just from a uh, – a versatility standpoint. Yeah, last year in a Nets uniform, Spence Dinwiddie, 13.8 field goal attempts per game, 40% field goal percentage, shot 28% from three on 5.6 attempts per game. That being said, 9.8 assists, 2.2 turnovers. That's an elite assist to turnover ratio. And despite that shooting slump, because he is better than that, uh, plus 1.7 when he was on the court, so 1.7 plus minus. I think that demonstrates 
more than anything, the fact that he was the Nets only sort of capable ball handler. But like we said, he sinks back into a slightly smaller role. He's still going to have room for pick and roll reps. And I like the idea that you have where you're going from maybe sort of one and a half, two guys last year. If you trust Ben, if you're expecting development from McHale, you're probably going to have three guys that you're comfortable initiating offense with. And it's going to mean that McHale doesn't get tired through the course of a whole season. You're not relying on Simmons to perform night after night. I think that Spencer slots in quite nicely as a third option. Yeah. So when it's early in the season, like, I think this is an interesting question. Like what kind of signs or, you know, immediate returns, I guess, will you be looking for just to see how the offense is is going? And then, you know, we can ask this later about the defense, but mm-hmm. integrating all these guys kind of, yeah, there are ball handling options, but they're not super traditional, like point guard, combo guard, initiating wing options. Like what will you be looking for, I guess, early on and then as the season progresses to see because the one thing I've written and the one thing kind of you've heard from coaches and players is like, it's going to be a season long work in progress. So I guess what are, what are positive signs that you, you'd like to see? So I'm going to be looking uh, at Nick Claxton every night in terms of his offensive involvement and his efficiency, because this was a guy that had a really fun time pre trade where he was hyper efficient He was in defensive player of the year talks or at least first, second team all defense talks and, you know, just a hyper efficient rim runner play finisher. And I think that that really dropped off in quite a painful way for him last year to the point where he really wasn't quite as effective. So I'm going to be looking at Nick Claxton because if he's getting efficient points, either he's turned into Hakeem Olajuwon and he's posting guys up. Or more likely, the offense is humming, there's practical ball movement. You're going to see a guy like Simmons uh, get all the way to the paint and find him on the trail. You're going to see McHale draw one, draw two, and find um, find Claxton in the pick and roll. But really, you just want to see defenses getting in rotation. And I think that Claxton can be the guy that benefits from that, much like he did last year for the majority of the season. It's just... Yeah. When the offense is flowing, he's a great play finisher. And if it's not, he is a guy that can attract so much trade attention at the deadline. I think I look at Dallas, for example. Dallas are the absolute team where I look at for Nick Claxton and just go, if Derek Lively isn't ready, this is a guy that you should be spending whatever picks you have available to get because he offers you that switching that they really benefited from in that postseason run. He offers you potential drop coverage experience if we're to, you know, if if that's something that Jack Vaughan is going to place emphasis on. I think that he is, guess what? It's our favourite term of the podcast. He is probably the ultimate swing player for the Nets this year in terms of if it's humming for him on both ends, that's a great sign that the Nets are having a season that they can be proud of. Yeah, I am I am probably the um, biggest Nick Claxton fan in terms of uh, – one for a long time in his career and i even yesterday like your point about ben simmons getting him easy looks you wouldn't think that a ben claxton pick and roll would really put much pressure on defenses but it was kind of snug it was set like 15 feet in and ben threw him Mm -hmm. a perfect dunk uh, in the game against the sixers threw him a perfect alley-oop for a dunk and that's a good point like this guy led the league in field goal percentage last last season like 
He is a really, really skilled finisher, both hands long around the basket. And like a lot of those looks were not just easy dunks, like tough wrong foot floaters, right hand hooks. And one thing I'm really looking forward to to see if Nick Claxton can do this is um, if because they're going to struggle on offense. There's just going to be possessions where things kind of stall out inevitably. Um, I'm really looking to see if they give him some more like hub actions, like fake dribble handoffs, stuff like that around the elbows. Like he had a possession um, against the Sixers the other night, fake dribble handoff, and he gets from the arc to the to the rim in one dribble and dunks it like. He's not going to do the Giannis thing, bully ball. He's not put a shoulder into you, but like he's just so long and explosive that he doesn't need to put the ball on the floor a ton. You know, he needs like one dribble to get himself into a, a hook. And he can really, I think, help to mitigate some, not all, but some of the offensive struggles that the Nets have had. So I totally agree with you. Like if he's shooting poorly from two, like something's wrong. You know what I mean? Something's wrong with the offense. Cause he, he shouldn't be bailing them out of that much. Like he, he should be finishing those looks around the basket. So that's a good point. And then I like, I like that you mentioned the trade deadline because for me, from a, from a roster building, from a long-term perspective, there's only one catastrophic failure outcome for this season. And that mm-hmm. is letting him walk for nothing in free agency. Oh. That would be Raptors. We just saw with Van Vliet. Like, teams, not, like the general media might not. I don't know where Nick Claxton came in on the ESPN top 100 thing, like whatever that means. Like, I would have him top 50 because, like you said, like he's easily a top 10 defender in the league and a really good finisher. Like, that's just an inherently valuable uh, sort of mold. But – Teams know how good he is. Like teams in contention, like the Mavericks, let's say they're doing well, will be willing to give up assets for a Claxton for a playoff run. And he's going to get paid this summer. So if the Nets aren't in a position to do that, if they're far apart on contract negotiations, if they're not playing super well by the time February comes around, they can't be afraid to pull the trigger because losing him for nothing, I think, would just be, I mean, I don't have to spell out why. It would just be an awful, awful mistake. Yeah, without doubt. Just one of those guys that could go to a good three, four, five, six teams around the league and just instantly fit in and elevate a defense and be, I think he's a playoff defender, which is the other thing. We've really seen it during the regular season, but if you're looking at how playoff basketball differs from regular season, that switching that Claxton provides is going to be absolutely invaluable. And I know that a couple of people clowned him for not being able to guard Joel Embiid one-on-one in the post find me anyone <laughs> find me anyone in history that is going to do a really good job of guarding Joel unless they're from Space Jam and they're an alien I think you're going to struggle and when you're giving up that sort of size advantage that's not Nick but Nick can follow he reminds me a little bit of Bam Adebayo in that versatility uh, yeah, I think yeah. that's interesting where we speak about the the handoff hub potential I don't necessarily see that same offensive versatility uh, versatility that Bam has but on the defensive end he can just he's a bit of a chameleon right so I think fingers crossed you see him sign an extension and this team is primed for an off-season in the next couple of years where they can add another creator where they can add a potential number one or a co-number one with Mikhail let's see you take let's say he takes another leap 
And Nick Claxton is that anchor on defense that yeah, teams just need in, in today's NBA. So, yeah, absolutely. Claxton's really interesting. I think what I want to do is let's talk about the Nets this year, wrap it up finally in terms of a regular season prediction, how you think it's going to go. And then let's talk about the future and where we potentially see this team in the next two to three years. Yeah, I think if I'm um, if I'm submitting a prediction, they're over under win totals, I think 36 and a half from Vegas. And I think mm-hmm. that's decent because there's a lot of there's a lot of teams that are going to I mean, in the East, there's just not that many tanking teams. Uh, NBA is so talented, no easy wins every night. But I'll say that my final record prediction is either 38 or 39 wins. Um, I think they're a play-in team. I think that early in the year, the rebounding numbers will just make the possession difference just too much to overcome in a lot of games. I do believe in the transition offense, but I think while they figure out how to get into it, there's just going to be too many nights where the half-court offense stalls out, and you can't have that and not be dominating the possession game. So as like the Raptors weren't a great off they were a bad offensive team, but mm-hmm. the way that they won the possession battle every night on the glass, um, especially two years ago when they were a little bit better than last year, really helped them out. So I don't think the Nets are going to be that. I think they figure things out as the season goes along. I also think Ben, it's not going to be an immediate jump to the level they need him to be at. I think it's going to be a slow progression. So I think they're probably better at the end of the year than they are at the beginning of the year, which is why they might be a more dangerous play-in team than they are in October. But Mm -hmm. I don't see the offense, the half-court offense in general, being solid enough to to inch them towards uh, 45 wins. Yeah. And like we said right at the top of the podcast, no incentive to tank this year as other Eastern Conference teams are going to be winding down, perhaps intentionally resting players, losing games. This Brooklyn team can really get in a nice flow state and try and push for one of those playing spots. Because I look and I, I probably see, I don't want to be offensive, offensive here, Lucas. You touched on it. I think that the, the league is probably the most talented it's ever been. I, I see Detroit and I see Washington as the two teams that will be clearly worse than the Brooklyn Nets next year in the Eastern Conference. And then anyone from Charlotte, Orlando, Indiana, Chicago, Toronto, and then you can get really feisty and maybe even throw in the Philadelphia 76ers if it's an absolute dumpster fire. Um, Any one of those teams could realistically have a bad season. I I think they're right amongst that pack. Play-in is definitely something that's potentially on the cards, but if it doesn't happen, it, it, it's not the end of the world. It's more about setting your team up for the long-term future. Uh, I think right. it's hard to have that perspective as a Nets fan, but I think the long-term future is bright. They've still got a ton of picks on the roster, and I, I was really interested in the Damian Lillard rumours over the summer. I, I really looked and I thought, if you had just thrown Dame on this roster for let's say Derek Whitehead, Noah Clowney and four, five first round picks because you have them to spend. It's the best roster that Dame has played on. I think he's ended up in a better situation playing next to Giannis. But if you just looked and said, we're going to put him next to uh, Mikhail Bridges, Cam Johnson, Dorian Finney-Smith, 
Nick Claxton. He's never had that kind of defensive infrastructure, which no. leads me to think that in the next few years, why can't you do that for another offensive style that comes on the market? I think that's absolutely the plan. And the, the front office has been open about it. They've said, you know, we want to build this team and, and create a solid identity and we're never going to mm-hmm. rule anything out. We're going to do our due diligence. But it was just a little bit too early on Dame, which I agree with. You know, they've had these picks for three or four months after KD Kyrie. Um, and they got to let the dust settle a little bit. Dame's also on the older side. It's much more of a, hey, we got a max. Dame's a small guard. What is he, 33 right now? Um, 33. 33. Although he's going to be elite until he's 38, if you That's believe uh, him. That's what he's come out and said. So maybe you should have done it, man. I don't know. Maybe. I mean, five years, then I, I guess you have to. But let's be generous. Let's say, let's do over 50% and say three years, right? Only the yep. third year of that contract is when Ben Simmons' is, uh, his contract is off the books and Mikhail Bridges is still here on a very team-friendly contract. That's 2025, 2026. That is the year I keep looking at. So the year after next, that's the year I keep looking at for the Nets in terms of long-term contending, cap flexibility. And because I mentioned this to you uh, in pre, they have picks coming in in 2027 from Philly and Phoenix and 2029 from Dallas and Phoenix. So they got that pick haul and they're going to use it. I don't think this year, but... They're going to be players when the next kind of round of stars open up. Um, personally, I've heard the slightest rumors about Donovan Mitchell being a New York kid. You know, we've still it hasn't even died since he went to Cleveland. I think that the Nets might be looking for a bigger swing or a swing further in the future. But I agree with you. They're absolutely primed to go land an offensive star and give them a great infrastructure when you start thinking about 2025, whether it's the year before when you can dump an expiring Ben for not too much, or you just wait till he comes off the books in 2026 and you can land a star and give him Mikhail Cam. If you pay Clax, Clax will still be here. So I, I that is definitely the long-term goal of this team. Okay, so I've just looked at 2025 free agency and I'm seeing a couple of names that are interesting. So Brandon Ingram coming onto the market as a free agent. Uh, and then in terms of sort of high-level shot creators, that's sort of it. I feel like Jamal Murray's probably going to stay put. Paul George is going to be aged out. You've got a guy like OG Ananobi if he picks up his player option next year, if he doesn't. And then in 2026, this is when things get interesting. I wanted to mention Donovan Mitchell as well, because I think there were some sort of crazy rumours last off-season before KD was traded where there was talk of sort of a three-team construction where KD was moved to uh, the Raptors or the Heat or whoever were linked, and Donovan Mitchell ended up coming back to the Nets uh, and all the picks went to the Jazz or something along those lines. So there have already been those links. So the three players that I'm sort of looking at, because there's another guy that I I sort of look at him as a young Damian Lillard. I think he's looking really good in preseason for his current team. I look at Trey Young and I look at the infrastructure that this team has and I think he would be the perfect point guard to play next to these guys or more, this would be his perfect support uh, supporting cast. So I'm going to give you the option now. You can have Brandon Ingram, you can have Donovan Mitchell, you can have Trey Young in the next three years. Who do you want for the Nets? That's tough. That's, I think, 
I think you gotta go with one of. I think if the roster stays the same, you gotta go with Trey Young. I just think the the ball movement and the the offensive initiation next to these guys. I mean, the one thing about Trey is that he, through no exaggeration, is one of the best lob throwers I think the league has ever seen. Um, and I just can't imagine how many spoon-fed dunks he'll get guys like Nick Claxton, how many corner threes he'll create for the Cam Johnsons, and like you said, the Dorians, Mikhail's, the Royce O'Neal's of the roster. I think that's the guy you look at. And, I mean, even this hypothetical illuminates something that we all know as NBA watchers. The league can change so quickly. I mean, in a year, a half, two years from now, like the amount of names that may potentially could be on the market, you know, I mean, Damian Lillard was an anomaly in that we kind of sensed this coming for three years. Uh, it, it happens pretty quickly. I mean, even the James Harden stuff to the Nets all happened in that one summer. Um, mm-hmm. I think the closest, even with Joel Embiid, where we're expecting it kind of to happen maybe somewhat soon, the noise hasn't been as loud as Dame. So I think for the Nets, it's just all about keeping that flexibility. But if the roster looks anything like it does now, you go all in on offensive creation and try to, I guess, keep somewhat of this stable of solid defenders and maybe Claxton and these wings. But again, if you think you're going to lose Claxton this summer, you got to get ahead of it at the deadline. Three more names I want to run by you. So two are sort of short term that I could see coming onto the market this year. Uh-huh. I suspect I know what you'll say, but Carl Anthony Towns was in trade discussions this season i don't necessarily see him as a guy that can play next to nick claxton so it probably mean giving up on nick what are your thoughts on towns in a nets uniform i actually would love to see him next to claxton just because just because i think you you actually end up with claxton probably switching to quote unquote the four on defense as a big wing Mm -hmm. and because you really don't want cat chasing around on the perimeter like uh, as the criticisms of him on the inside as a shot blocker and a rebounder are very valid, but I think you get even more diminishing returns when you throw him on the perimeter and that leads to breakdowns. I do think Clax can insulate him as like a help side shot blocker and a guy that flies in and can become more of a roamer. I would really love to see that. I mean, we've seen it from Clax. I think it would depend on the price point. Um, And I'm not sure the Nets' price point will be where Minnesota's is, and I think that's the reason it doesn't get doesn't get done. And from a basketball fit, I actually don't mind it on defense, and I don't mind it on offense. I just think the vertical spacing between Clax and and Cat will be awesome. Unfortunately, though, the price point and the fact that the Nets probably don't have the ball handlers to really make that work prevents them from yep. doing it. But I would, I actually would like to see it uh, in an ideal world. Yeah, so I, I differ from you slightly where I think that if, say, Claxton is indicating that you might want to look elsewhere next year and you can flip and you can go from one of the best defensive centres in the league to one of the best offensive centres, that could be something that's really fun. And when you speak about a guy that could be utilised as a handoff hub, I think that Carl Anthony Towns right. has one of the highest ceilings of any big as a handoff hub because not only can he do the bully ball that we see Sabonis do, do that drive to the rim that you spoke about with Nick Claxton or a guy like Bam Adebayo, but this is also a guy that can pop back for three as well. So a 
three-level handoff scorer, which I, I hope I'm coining. If anyone's ever said that, then then you know, in the comments or in my very small listenership, let me know. Um, so that could be interesting. I, I just don't know about that defensive well, this, fit. But I'm, go, this is go for the it. thing about the Nets. Like you can, they're kind of ripe for this star, and it could be any number of stars, just because it, it, the roster right now is very versatile, but it's without that leader. And so mm. that could look like any number of things. I mean, a lot of the time when when organizations are thinking about trading for a star, it's very clear kind of what archetype that would be. Like yeah. with the Bucks, it was very clear, not that we knew they were going to trade for Dame, but if they were ever going to make a star trade, it was going to be, okay, offensive initiator, number one guard next to Giannis. That was mm. very obvious. Um, even with the Nets, when they had – K, uh, KD and Kyrie, uh, the James Harden thing was clear, not just because he said it, but from the beginning. It's like you can play Kyrie off the ball. You can get this guy to come in and run all these possessions, and they ended up with one of the greatest offenses ever. Um, seven or eight games, but it was beautiful game. when it was working. It was beautiful. Um, so, yeah, I, I, the Nets, that's what's really intriguing about this team in the long term. Like, it could be any number of archetypes of stars. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in a year or two, you'll really start to hear it heat up. Different archetype, maybe a little bit of overlap with a player like Mikhail Bridges. I quite like the idea of Zach Levine on this roster as another guy that can get you 25 to 30 points a night, a guy that can play on ball, off ball, juice your spacing, produce for himself in isolation. If you lent into something more like a handoff-based offense, then he's a guy that I could like. Again, it's got to be a price is right kind of thing because you're pricing in injury with him. What are your thoughts on Zach? And then last one, you're just going to hear the name and you're going to go, well, of course, but let's see. Uh, I would. I, I think that I like that you mentioned the handoff thing because if Ben is mm-hmm. hypothetically still around, although they probably have to move him to equal salary in that deal, the handoff uh, offense, which we're probably going to see this year with like Cam Johnson, and Mikhail with Ben kind of springing them downhill would be awesome with Zach Levine. I don't think he is the caliber of swing that they're going to take. You know, I think they're going to go all NBA if they do anything in the next few years. I think if somehow they end up with the extra resources, Levine might be the second guy they target. Um, But in a vacuum, he would absolutely juice, give this roster some much needed creation and and spacing. Yeah. You either view it like that, or he is the Ray Allen acquisition for the Celtics back in 2008 that then lures Kevin Garnett there. So I wonder if that could be something on the cards. Uh, I just love Zach Levine. I want to see him out of Chicago if possible, (laughs) because they don't seem to value him very much there. And the other one, uh, his contract is running out in 2027, same time as Trey Young. Talk about a guy that can take all the offensive possessions in the world. Talk about a guy that can make use of a rim runner, of a switchy defensive big. Talk about a guy that just if you if you can acquire him, you have to. This looks like a Luca team to me. Oh, They're gonna have all the picks in the world. They're gonna have the Dallas twenty twenty nine pick as well, unprotected. If it's a dumpster fire for Dallas in the next few years bang, you can have that pick back, you can have a clear rebuilding future, and we can have Luca. That's that's obviously the one. 
I think that's the thing because the 20, so that's the 2018 draft. So it's the four year rookie contract and then the five year super max extension. So 2027. Um, that's what's so kind of, I guess, freeing about this Nets roster. And that is that they can go after the stars in multiple waves. Like that's kind of the next wave of expiring contracts. But the positive of the Nets picks being so far out is that let's say there's these rumors that might start flying in two or three years the Nets will still be positioned to give up those picks. And mm. they're positioned to wait. And like I said with Levine, they're positioned to wait for the biggest swing imaginable. So hypothetically, three years, I know it's a long time away, especially in the NBA landscape. You have to imagine that the Nets are very aware of when these guys, these the next generation of superstars start becoming available. And it does feel mm. like a Luka team. I mean – that's why I think you you think about Claxton, uh, Dallas, and why it would be so awesome. Um, they could insulate him with length on defense, rim runners, spacers. I would, I mean, who wouldn't? But that would be. Uh, let's just say I'd love to uh, cover some Luca games. Who wouldn't? Who wouldn't? Right. Yeah. I think we may have spoken about every possible avenue for this Brooklyn Nets team. Uh, no David Duke Jr. talk today, but I think we can steer clear of that. Dayron Sharp could be impactful in a possession game on the offensive glass. One of the all-time small uh, sample size offensive rebounders. But yeah. I'm excited to watch this Brooklyn Nets team purely because I'm excited to see Ben Simmons back on the court. I'm excited to see what the offense looks like, whether McHale can take another leap, whether Cam Thomas can finally get away from this sort of Twitter highlight real form of player and become a real impactful rotation player for the Nets. What does Claxton look like? There are so many questions. We're going to have so many answers and I can't think of a better person that I'm going to want to read this year to supply the answers than you, Lucas. So thank you so much for coming on, man. Any parting thoughts? Any any things to plug? Or are you just dying over there? You said you were ill at the start of the pod and I, I think we've put pushed you pretty close to the line here. No, no, it's been, uh, it's like a, uh, it's a panacea, man. It always is fun to come on and talk basketball. And uh, I appreciate you having me on. Uh, everybody can find my work at Nets Daily, uh, if they so choose, or on my Twitter, which is just my name. Um, but yeah, my parting thoughts would be that it's always fun to think about how silly all these predictions will look in a few months and mm. how much we probably totally missed an obvious factor for this team that will determine the course of their season that we just have no idea what we're talking about. But no, in all seriousness, it should be fun. Uh, if they're not the best team in the NBA, they're certainly one of the most unique. Um, and I'm, ex I'm like just as excited to see Ben Simmons as you too. Like we all know how hard preseason basketball can be to get through sometimes. Even just looking for Ben has given me something to look forward to. So like I said, I appreciate you having me on, and um, it sh should be a fun season, man, as it always is. You know, it's the best time of year. Yep, go and check out Lucas's work. Subscribe to his Twitter, X, whatever we're calling it these days. Uh, thank you for listening if you've got all this way through. Surely a mention of Luka Doncic going to the Nets is payoff for your listenership. I'm sure it is. Uh, we'll be back next week with another podcast, uh, probably another team preview, but... The NBA is kicking off soon. The regular season is kicking off soon. If you're an NBA fan, the time is now. We're excited on the drop step and we're going to be covering it the whole way through. Tune in again next week. Thanks for listening. Bye.